0: The fact that I have to explain my jokes, and know it makes them less funny. You know, it's not that your jokes are not funny. No. It's just that sometimes they need explaining. Uh, that's true. That's because sophisticated humor. The whole world is not as smart as you. And welcome to Tech Moonshine. Coming to you straight from a small cabin in the Virginia woods... Tech Moonshine is the best podcast to learn about new technologies and how they might affect your life. Your hosts are all experienced technology professionals, and just like quality moonshine, they will give you the straight and unfiltered truth. My name is Sean Burns, and I'm proud to introduce the host of Tech Moonshine, Mike Rollins. And welcome to Tech Moonshine, Moonshine, where you will get 200 proof honest truth from a cabin in the Virginia woods. Sean, today we are going to talk about bringing the internet to the world. Now, does the world deserve the internet, Mike? You know that's a very deep philosophical question, and and you gotta wonder if the world deserves goodness before you ask if the world deserves the internet, because all goodness does flow from the internet, correct? Sure. I'm gonna go hang up some some more ornaments on the tree. You take care of getting all this right. podcast started here. So uh, the today, you know, we're gonna talk about bringing the internet to the world, and I would just like to point out that people are crazy when they come up with ideas for this, and in fact. Google has decided that they would like to launch balloons into the air to carry the internet to the world. And the balloons are not coming down. Um, they're staying up a lot longer than they anticipated, which is kind of perfect for Google because uh, I'm not sure that they often think things through completely. They just decide to try it. And as a result, they put balloons in the air that broadcast internet everywhere. And this is going to do the world good. So, Sean. Son of a... Oh, my God. I just lost a finger, but I did get the ornaments up in the tree, so the we're we're good. Tree. Oh man, that was painful. Sean, were you hanging the still ornament when you did that? Uh, it, it's, it's we're using ornaments, of course, as a metaphor for our still, which would be illegal if we were to have an actual. Totally still. illegal. We wouldn't. We wouldn't uh, have a still. But let me tell you, the ornaments taste great. Mm. <laughs> uh, but so I actually know the problem with the Google balloons. What's the Google? Balloon they press problem? the "I feel lucky" button when they put them up there, <laughs> and it actually did not work out as they expected. <laughs> well, I feel lucky. Hold on, there look at this button. <laughs> So it's not just Google. I, I, as Mike points out, there's lots of organizations that are trying to bring the internet to places in the world that don't have the internet today. The last time I checked, I think there's 3 billion people online, mm-hmm. but there's 7 billion people in the world, which means there's 4 billion people that are not looking at ads. And we have to fix that problem. <laughs> I was going to say. And so you, you people, have yeah. you have Google working on their project. You have internet.org, um, which is the result of, of Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook efforts. You have a lot of open source and non-profit organizations that are trying to facilitate these things. And so people are realistically trying to bring the internet to the rest of the world. And so the first question before we get to that is, Mike, why are they trying to bring the internet to the world? What is what is the goal? Other than I was t- only half joking getting to see ads. Well, um, and do you want the cynical approach or do you want the vaunted, highfalutin? Yes. Okay. The cynical approach is that all of these companies... Google, Facebook, Twitter, all of them have got to be in growth mode to be sustainable. Three billion people is a lot of people. um, But that means that if they don't get more billions, they won't be in growth. And so to Google and Facebook specifically, the the rest of the four billion represent a longer path to growth before they come some kind of a stabilized commodity now if you want to look at this from the the vaunted idea of human rights or other things there's a certain idea that the internet represents freedom Um, it represents the ability of the free uh, exchange of information and if you bring that to people it will obviously make their lives better um, as is probably the case in point with the white man's burden way back in the day but um, what do you think Sean do you think if you bring the internet to everybody that it's going to make their lives better that is a good question i think it's quite possibly true i will say i side with the gates foundation on this which is the observation that it would be great to bring the internet to lots of people but right now most of the world is worried about not getting malaria and dying of starvation (laughs) okay so giving them a facebook account and getting them online is actually not high in their list of 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 needs Um, but let's put that aside for a second Um, let's assume that we are able to prioritize this effectively internationally and realize that we would like to have less internet and more clean water for people. Mm-hmm. And we get that done. Um, there's actually, if you go to internet.org, they have this great video that you can watch about all the reasons why internet will make people's lives better. And they say farmers will be able to use data to better grow their crops. Sure. And students can use Wikipedia to learn new things. And <laughs> I say this not because these are good reasons, because I honestly think somebody got drunk and, like, had a deadline, like, you need to make a video about why the internet's good for the world. And he just came up with the first three things they could think of, yeah, because well, <laughs> they're really not good. You know, every farmer um in all of these countries that don't have the internet is obviously of a caliber to be a data scientist, and so he could use all of the data that he collects on his crop with the processing power mm-hmm. that's in the cloud to make his crops better, right? That's what we're getting at here. Yeah, well, and, and I will give... There are some very, very serious examples. I will try not to laugh about this. I just have trouble taking it seriously because of the whole malaria eating mm-hmm. thing, but... There's a startup company, nonprofit, actually here in the Bay Area called Atma Connect, and they're a good example of what can be done if you bring the Internet to the rest of the world. It's a very simple service that allows people to log in and crowdsource the price of drinking water in their city. Because if you live in a city where you don't have the Internet, you don't have free-flowing information, the price of drinking water can change on an hourly basis, on a daily basis, and you may have to spend a few hours walking around the city just to figure out who has the most affordable drinking water. Okay. And those are hours of your day that you would save if you could just pop your phone open and just check and see whatever the most recent prices are from people that live near all the different vendors. So it's Uber for water? Uh, no, it's not Uber for water. It's more like Yelp for water. Okay. I think that's okay. a good metaphor. But it, it, seriously, that's something that would meaningfully affect the lives of people. Another example is you know, disaster relief. What mm-hmm. ends up happening in a lot of cases during natural disasters is if you don't have information infrastructure, there's no way for you to find how to get help, what help is available, the phone lines, you can keep calling people. The problem with the phone system is it's a one-to-one communication right. medium, and the Internet is a broadcast medium, so you can reach more people. Uh-huh. And what you're seeing is a lot of that is done by text today, but if you were to bring the Internet over, you would actually be able to communicate, I think, a lot of these things. And then I think the final one that I take very seriously is the the freedom of information, the fact that people will no longer have to listen to their local government or their local newspaper, that they can hear points of view from all over the world whether or not they agree with them or not and in doing so really democratize what can happen and you just look to what the impact that twitter has had in in revolutions and facebook has had in in the arab uh, spring and the fact that governments felt like they had to cut the internet to suppress the people that tells you how powerful it is if the government thinks they have to cut it off to keep you down that's a pretty powerful thing so i would like to pull out two things here um, this so piece of shrapnel that's hanging in my hand from this yes, ornament right here, here. Hold yeah. on here. Ah! <clears throat> so, um looking back over some of the history classes that I took uh specifically with Dr. Enright at a uh, good old East Carolina University, um, which is almost as good as a Virginia school really. Um and I'm by saying that I'm actually trying to, you know, pander to Virginia because ECU is definitely better than say somebody like Virginia Tech. Um <clears throat> but Traditionally, through history, there has been uh, this process that happens when you bring free information to a culture. uh, You tend to begin what is basically a renaissance. Um, And so, uh, one of the first times that ever happened was when the the uh, books were able to move from the actually the Arab and Middle Eastern world into Europe, Um, and then they were able to build the printing press and that. Actually disseminated information quickly and it re- resulted in a renaissance um, and then later on uh, in the Industrial Revolution when information flowed even faster uh, you ended up with another uh, it was just a great big technological boom and so I think a lot of people think that you know there's obviously a case to be made that we're in some kind of a renaissance right now in the past you know 20 to 30 years but if you look at something like the Arab Spring um, that sure seemed like a great thing to begin with. It's not so good anymore. It's true, but not all progress is straightforward, and not all okay. progress can be predictable. I'll give you another example that's not political at all is Is the Internet's impact on healthcare? And so mm. there, there's a company called Orali that I know, and they essentially allow you to um, use your smartphone camera and take some photos of your mouth, and they actually provide that to dentists, and dentists can actually diagnose a vast majority of the very serious oral yes. diseases you might have. And there are many countries around the world where you may have one or two dentists per 10,000 people. Right. So people are not going to the dentist every week. But this is this kind of service as telemedicine or teledentistry yes. can unlock health care for people who would be able to maybe get access to diagnosis that they couldn't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. Treatment is still going to be a challenge, but at least knowing what's going on would be a huge right. step forward. Well, and that's something that you couldn't do without the Internet. Right. Um, as an individual who's well acquainted with dentistry, uh, having bad oral health is not fun. Um, Mike has pulled out five of my teeth and I do thank him for that. It's been very useful. Just tonight, as a matter of fact, before he hung the ornaments on the stuff, I mean, the tree. <laughs> I, I think that is, you know, there's the political geo motivational. We're doing this for goodwill. So Sean, who, I mentioned Google balloons. Um, and we could probably delve into that a little bit more. But what other mediums are there to bring the internet to Oh, the this is good. This is what I want to talk about. Before that, I'd like to point out that one of our lawyer listeners yes. did in fact tweet the hashtag Tech Moonshine All for One. So now Mike and I, we have our moons st- are still here. Here we go. All for One. Woo! So if I stop making sense in a few minutes, it's because this batch of moonshine wasn't Woo! very good. So one of the things that's always fast to me, Mike, is like, we want to bring the Internet everywhere. But we already figured that out years ago for the same reason I can place a phone call from here to anywhere in the world, right. even though it made cardio me leg, because we have these things called satellites, right? Mm-hmm. And they're everywhere. And the question is, why can't we just have a satellite that points down and provides Internet to everyone? And, Mike, do you want to know why? This is a retarded question. Do you know why, Mike? Why, Sean? Tell me. Oh, that was why. Good. So the thing about satellites that you don't think about, is that is the the geostationary satellites are really far away, and we don't think about that. You're like, oh, it's in space, and how far uh, up is how yes. far up is space, Mike? How far away would a, a satellite be if it was directly overhead in a geostationary orbit? So when I travel all over the world, I normally do it at thirty five thousand feet. That's not near space, but that's very high up. Sure. So we're probably talking what nine, ten miles. So nine, ten miles. That's your guess. Yeah. So a terrible. A, ge- a geostationary orbit is twenty two thousand miles above the surface of the earth. <laughs> well I didn't hold so on. You we were, were talking about the boundary of space. <laughs> we were not talking about the location of a geostationary satellite. I'm still wrong, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so it's far. Right? It's far, that's pretty And far there's away. this thing called the speed of light. How far does it take light to travel twenty two thousand miles? Two hundred fifty milliseconds, so it turns out. Okay. That the when you measure network speeds Man, on do you the know internet, what that's going to do to your Quake game. I'm saying so you you measure network. Speaking of which, that's a good segue. Thank you. Uh, you measure the speed of a network by what's called the round trip time, and yes. the round trip time is how long it takes information for, to get from me to you and then back again. Right. Because it's not enough for me just to send you something if you can't acknowledge that you got it. So the round trip time to satellites, based on the speed of light like and all the delays, can be around a second, right? The problem is, your average round trip time here in the terrestrial internet is a little bit under, in typical most circumstances, around 10 milliseconds. Right. Right. So, just doing some quick math in my head that's a few orders of magnitude longer, that means that it's very difficult for us to do things via satellite internet that we're used to doing. All this synchronous, right. you know, streaming and these things. Um, the other problem with satellites Hold is. Hold on, that, let, let me just stipulate that the guys that bid on eBay. Mm hmm would absolutely lose their minds if they had a second of latency um, the other people that would absolutely go under are the day traders who rely on things like and we really we need to bring outside. day trading to the world and we' so do. That's what we're... we do absolutely so the, the second, second problem is, things out there, you know is it's like be multicultural if a satellite is really just a big radio antenna that you're talking mm-hmm. to and the problem is the more people that need to be on a satellite the more receivers it needs right? And so you imagine a satellite up there, if you're trying to bring internet to India, mm-hmm. and there's a billion people. So what's the expense of launching 100,000 or a million satellite radio, or, uh, radio antennas into space? Actually, it's funny. I actually know the answer to this, okay. which is hilarious. Very good. Because there's good. a whole new suite of startup companies that are launching satellites for the purposes of taking photos of, of the world. Right now, you can get a satellite into orbit for about $150,000, $200,000. Okay. Which is cheap. And basically, I'm not even joking. Wait. They take them up to the International Space Station and they heave them out the airlock. <laughs> <laughs> so you just imagine a sat- an astronaut up there just heaving stuff out the door like you <laughs> heave stuff off your pickup truck here in West Virginia. <laughs> that's how they deliver satellites and that's how they get the price down. Ew. That's right. And if he so, gets a bad throw, you're basically out of luck. When, oh my God. When can we launch the still up to the International Space Station and into space? They do have a 3D printer up there. It's only a matter of time before they have a still. It is obviously only a matter of time. Well, so just wrapping up the satellite thing, satellites end up being impractical for these kinds of applications. Now, satellite radio works, um, GPS works, but those work because they're just broadcasting a signal and we're picking it up down here. There's no back again. So going back to the satellite is why internet, global internet via satellites don't work and that's why the balloons that Mike mentioned that Google is launching up work. They're so much closer because they're just balloons. They're maybe a mile or two miles off the ground that you, the round-trip time is very fast. Mm-hmm. And if you have a chain of balloons, each talking to each other, you can kind of create this long daisy oh, chain of internet. A network. a network. But a network of balloons is really hard to take seriously, because they all have <laughs> smiley faces on them. So then the question, Mike, is what other options? If we're not going to use satellites and balloons are got some problems, what are other options? So the other, the other option that springs to mind is mobile, basically, um, that you put strategically located cell towers in areas um, that you don't have to run landlines to um, that you can basically put clusters of internet connectivity around a country or around the world the problem with that is that that's really expensive um, and the range on these cell towers is really minimal compared to the landmass that you need to cover um, <clears throat> a good example is that if you look at Let's let's take AT&T's coverage of the United States. And if you're zoomed way out, okay, it looks like, like on a satellite. Like for example, on a satellite, okay, it looks like the whole United States is orange, because AT&T has coverage across all of the United States. But then if you actually zoom in to the end, of, you know, to you know the sub-mile range, what you find out is that there are all of these coverage gaps everywhere, um, and they don't count them significantly because there's not a dense population there. Um, so even in a developed country where you have you know, as much infrastructure as the United States, it's really not economical to put out cell coverage across the entire nation. And you talk about a country like India, which, you know, um, <clears throat> India is definitely a developing country. Um, their infrastructure in terms of roads and rail uh, and other things like that is is maybe not as good as the United States it's harder and more expensive to move that material out to remote regions where they need the coverage. and So it turns out that um, it is very expensive to get cell towers out there. Okay, so we're running out of options here. Okay. But how to get internet into hard-to-reach places? Drones. Drones! Drones? Oh, and so there actually is a project to create a solar-powered drone okay. that would essentially be a... Not a permanent flying drone, but extremely long flying drone. Right. And the idea is one of these drones, being solar-powered, essentially is like a, a glider in a lot of ways. It's, it's almost very like light. a balloon. It's like almost like a balloon, but you can make it go up and down whenever you need okay. to. And so it could therefore, in theory, hover in a general area for sure. you know weeks or so and create okay. another one of these mesh networks that you might create with a balloon. But again, as we mentioned, with balloons, there's not a lot of control. Right. With these kinds of drones, we'd have control. The challenge of course is creating a solar powered drone that can say flying for weeks on end is technologically very complicated and extraordinarily expensive. Okay. So the price is going to have to come down and development's going to have to come down. They actually do have prototypes of these things working. The challenge though is by definition, if you're trying to reach the the four billion people that are not online. Right. The internet has reached what I will call well, has reached not even what I will call, just in general, the wealthiest parts of the world. Yes. So we're not talking about going to a people in economies that have lots of money. Right. So cost effectiveness becomes right. a huge impediment to, frankly, everything we've mentioned, even the balloons. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it turns out that weather balloons that will stay aloft that long are really not that cheap either. No. And so you have to deploy so many of these. As Mike was saying, like with cell towers, it becomes a matter of math to be able to figure out how many can we afford, how many do we need, where do we put them. All those kinds of things. It's, it's pretty hard to do. So I have one final idea for how do we cover the world with the internet? Which We is, print it out and we hand it to them. Yes. That's brilliant. I love it. <clears throat> Amazing. All right. Listen, Tech Moonshine, we're wrapping up here. Um, we've solved all the world's problems. Y'all have a great rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so this, this idea would, would not necessarily work in some area like the sub-Saharan Africa. But in India, where there's an incredibly dense population, what if you set up these secured, uh, secure channel mesh networks where everybody's given a device and they all just basically connect and talk to each other, but it's secured connection and <clears throat> nobody can quote unquote hack it. Um, and then at some point, that thing would have to go to ground. Um, maybe you just put big pipes in strategic locations where all of a sudden you can push information across these extended mesh networks. Um, and have some kind of an access point later. What do you think about that idea, Sean? That sounds really complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all joking aside, I think that being complicated is an important consideration. In the places where you're putting these things, again, these are not highly urbanized areas. Right. These are places that are still under development. Your ability to repair it is limited. Right. And so complexity is something you want to avoid. You want it to be as simple as possible. Because the last thing in the world you want to do is actually have to repair them or send somebody to find them. You don't have people on the ground that have expertise, and so you need to make maintenance as affordable as deployment. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, the attempts that have been made of these things so far, the deployment always works great. It's the maintenance that kills you. Like the balloons don't come down. The balloons, yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. Can't and so go you, you have to build back. these things to be By sustained. The way, balloons not coming down is something that every parent could have predicted way before Google sent their balloon up. It's true. Um, but they would always come down when you least expect them to. Right? <laughs> so uh, I, I agree with you there. It's interesting. And, and I would say the most interesting part for me of just bringing it into the world is what people will do with it that have lived without any sort of communication up to this point. right? Because you're trying to reach people that haven't even had phone service. right? Let's be perfectly honest. These are people that are disconnected. And so if you gave them communications like this, what it would unlock is kind of, um, there's no way to know, and it's, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. What, what, what would it unlock? I mean, you know, going back to our example of the farmers that are all data scientists, um, are we really, is basic communications something that it would, that would enrich the world? I mean, It's hard to say. You don't even know what languages you'd bring online and, and all these kinds of things that people could do. I right. think, well, first thing it would do, is everyone in the world could listen to this podcast. It's really, <laughs> you're talking about doing the, the, the greater good. We're <laughs> the greater good. We're doing good. the greater good there. But, you know, you really don't know. I mean, local commerce could be enabled. There's kinds of knowledge that would have been lost to history that could be recorded now. Right, yes. Um, things that are passed down word of mouth these days. Um, cultures. You know, you can't save a culture with Internet access, but no. perhaps you can preserve parts of it. Right. Um, there's, in fact, some great projects. and What they're trying to do is preserve dialects and languages that are dying off Mm -hmm. as we see the kind of the the convergence on languages like english a lot of the languages that were created that had small communities or small civilizations that were using them are are going away as the people who spoke it die off and their kids just speak english or their kids speak whatever the dominant language is where they live and there are projects to go around recording those languages to preserve them because there is a lot of value just in the fact that humans created something even if we don't use it anymore Right. Keeping it around and realizing it. And, you know, you look at the Navajo code talkers, they use the Navajo language as the only unbrokeable code in the history. Right. And it was a language. It was a Navajo language. It wasn't even mathematics. Right. Right. And the NSA couldn't even get into that stuff. Right. So I think preserving all that knowledge that, that exists in the world that is being lost is pretty compelling and interesting and, and exciting. Um, although I, going back to level set everything, I would much rather if we figure out like, clean drinking water, hunger, malaria, all those kinds of things. But Mm. we're assuming that's all taken care of. So as good as bringing the Internet would be to the world, and I actually don't disagree. I think that bringing the Internet to the world, bringing um, free communications to more people has value, um, and it will in fact change the way the world has progressed, but it will also change the way the world is. And so what are some of the downsides to bringing the internet to the world? And I will kick us off, which is that everyone will have access to this podcast. Everyone will have access <laughs> to this podcast. It goes both ways, folks. Yeah, it does. Man. <laughs> um, but, you know, I I would say that bringing the internet to the world would, in fact, dismantle some cultures. And Going back to the language thing, you know, English is definitely a dominant language nowadays. Um, and, like, why speak another language when you can communicate just as easily in English to more people? Um, in the same way, uh, Michael Jackson t- uh, culture is a pretty dominant thing in the world. And what happens when you start spreading that to these other cultures that have no concept of it or not as much of a concept of it? Do you, in fact, end up obliterating uh, the, the culture with this new thing? Right, and maybe the culture that's being obliterated is richer and more historical than American culture, but who cares? Um, I actually, I want to find a culture where the color blue is illegal and see Facebook try to penetrate. <laughs> I think that would be actually pretty hilarious to see what would have to happen there. No, but it is true. I mean, I, I think that overall, there is, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Mike. There's no universally good or universally positive things you can do. You take the good with the bad. But I think the facilitation of communication, while it does have some negatives, the, the positives will outweigh it. I mean, an obvious negative I can think of, for example, is for all the good it can do, it can also spread lots of misinformation. Yes. Right? Just because the internet spreads information, it doesn't mean everything on it is true. <laughs> which I found out the hard way after I followed my Taylor Swift blog and found out that it was not actually Taylor Swift. It was just Swift on security.
1: <laughs> so hey, wait, I, wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. Swift on security is not Taylor Swift, actually? I know. I was very heartbroken as well. So, but, you know, misinformation can be equally damaging. And you think about in China with the Chinese, the great firewall of China, they see the internet, but they don't see the internet we see. There's parts of the internet that they're not allowed to get. And there's parts of the internet that they're served that are not the internet we see. And so if I'm if I'm going to the internet and looking for certain things, I see a different version of history i see every different version of information and the thing about the internet because of facilities information if that misinformation gets out there it's harder to to bring it back in and recently the eu passed this new law which the is right the right to, to be forgotten yes which is the most ludicrous ridiculous thing ever basically the idea is if something's happening is not good you can you can petition forgotten. google and the search engines to remove records of it so if somebody searches for you they won't find it right yeah which is like the largest exercise of futility I've ever heard, right? Because it's as if somehow you can hope that somebody can remove all traces of it and just magically make it go away. We all know information doesn't work that way. There's zero cost to reproduce it. But, you know, that's one example of people trying to react to the fact that information permeates and it's not always good information. So the same thing is true. You know, you think about um, oppressive governments and Mm – um all this stuff being spread so there could be negatives to it um people could be exposed to political advertising you know who've never seen ads before but i think overall the net positive knowledge they'll be given access to outweighs some of those negatives yes do you think we could safely say to use a tried example that bringing the internet to the world is a bit like opening pandora's box I I don't know, Pandora's box, that was like a big thing, you know, it was. malice and, you know, all the yeah. evil in the world, uh, there's some evil on the internet, but man, there's also techmoonshine.com. I do, uh, yes, yes. Now, one thing, you know, I would note that any time I turn on Pandora, it's really kind of hit or miss what I'm going to get. That's what it we're is. talking about, right? Yeah, a lot of evil. A lot, a lot of, of evil on there. A lot of evil. no, it's got to be yeah. careful. Some really good stuff, though. That's right. Well, if you get premium. Premium yeah. is good. Yeah. That's right. And this week's episode brought to you by Pandora. <laughs> so Alright, Sean. Um that brings us to our lightning round. Lightning round, lightning round where you and I will talk about two things on the internet this week, or just two things in general, that have either irritated us or delighted us. So and is ranting allowed? Ranting is totally allowed. You can awesome. rant to your heart's content. I plan to rant quite quite vociferously. So, Sean, rant vociferously. So, uh, a few weeks ago, there was in the news, the Spanish, uh, all the Spanish news organizations are very upset that Google, Google News (laughs) was linking to their content. Yes. And making their content available and they were not getting rewarded. So they passed a law, they forced a law through the Spanish government saying that, um, they, they deserve copyright payments or essentially, um, royalty payments, even if you quote the headline of the article. So basically, if you go to Google News and you see a headline from a Spanish newspaper, that means Google would have to pay the Spanish newspaper, a royalty. Because they, they figured, oh, hey, this is a good way to generate some more revenue for us. And Google warned them. They said, if you do this, we don't make any money off Google News. We're not going to pay you. And they were like, no, no, we're definitely going to make more revenue. This is the way to solve our problem. And then, so the 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 deal was, the, the law was passed, and Google did exactly what they said they were new. They shut off Google News, which meant that immediately the traffic to Google, to the Spanish news sites, plummeted. And all of a sudden these new newspapers realized that they screwed up. And so what do they do? What is your reaction? Well, in Germany, when the German newspapers <laughs> tried this, they just backtracked and they made an exception so they could keep going. The Spanish newspapers, they were not deterred. Instead, they decided that what they had to do was pass a law making it illegal for Google not to offer Google News. <laughs> because somehow that makes sense in Spain. So I would like to say... That if you have a business model that doesn't support the internet, legislating it is probably not going to work for you. No. There are lots of other solutions they could have taken. Legislating it is having this hilarious series of unintended consequences, which is why you no longer will see Spanish newspapers on Google News. Absolutely. Mike, to you. So, um, Sean, something that delighted me, uh, this has delighted me a little bit uh, over the past few weeks, but... Sharp recently developed the ability to create what they call freeform displays. So typically when you build a display nowadays, it's in some kind of a rectangular square shape. Um, And the reason for that is that you need the ability to somehow transmit the signal in two directions. The most efficient way to do that is from the edges in uh, some kind of a rectangular square. Sharp um, recently in the past few months has overcome the ability um, to do that. And so now they can build these displays that are just basically freeform. You can just carve them out and do different things. It's not like they're bendy or anything, but they can be whatever shape you want them to be. Um, I think that is a pretty spectacular thing. And I cannot wait until I can have the Tech Moonshine logo display that we've been working on, which we're going to put on the side of the still, um, that is just going to be super awesome. I just, I can't wait to leave a logo. That's gonna be pretty epic. You, yeah, you know, a <laughs> logo would be good. Maybe we should have somebody build one. We should work on that. Yes, cool. we should. So, Sean. What's so, so if you have been tracking the news recently, Apple launched something called Apple Pay with the last updates to iOS, which allows you to pay for things using your phone. So you go to a cash register and instead of giving them cash or giving them a credit card or a debit card, you'd said would just wave your phone and use that to pay for it hooked up to whatever bank account you're using. In theory, I love this. But this is why I'm ranting. Right now, in my wallet, I have cash, I have my credit cards, I have my debit cards, and now I'm supposed to pay with my phone. I, however, keep going to stores and I can't pay for anything anyway, because either I don't have, like, you know, the right change, or they don't take my credit cards, which, you know, the minute I try to use my credit card, the fraud detection goes off and it thinks that I'm stealing my own money or something, and now I have Apple Pay. It used to be you could buy things, Mike. (laughs) <laughs> and now you you can't buy things anymore because buying things has gotten so friggin' complicated. I would love to be able to go buy something and not have anxiety about do I have the right payment method or do I have the right change to buy something. And it could be Apple Pay or it could be cash. But can we just decide how we're going to buy things? Because honestly, I, just, I can't figure it out. Uh, that, there's probably a psychological... Diagnosis that is going to come out of this called the fear of not having the correct form of payment. That's right. I have payophobia. Payophobia. And it's getting severe. I need help. It is. Um, Sean, you know, I, you've, you've kind of had two rants this week. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go on record and saying that they were both not as consequential as the rant I am about to lay down. Oh, this is a high bar. So, <clears throat> I am kind of an emoticon purist. Right. Um, I don't even know what that is. That's not a thing. You, you need to, if you're going to put out a chat service, you need to have good, clear emoticons that convey meaning with the text because meaning in text is very terrible and can go sideways very quickly. So the emoticon, which is the winky face or the smiley face or the, the really big smiley face with the cheese uh, teeth. Those are very important. They should be done correctly. Skype actually gets it kind of right. I mean, I can throw a dancing Elvis onto the screen and really just let you know that I am boogieing down over here in a cabin in the Virginia woods. So, uh, you know, Sean, as as we typically do, we often talk to each other on Google chat or Gtalk or whatever it's called this week. These emoticons are just a dumpster fire on this thing. (laughs) I mean, are you freaking kidding me? It looks like somebody crapped out a little yellow blob painted a couple dots for eyes and some kind of a mouth on top of it and dropped it onto the screen. I don't understand how these people get away with this. And this the, is, let me put it, the poop emoticon doesn't even have little smell lines going no, off of it. No, I which like, is, What's a good of a poop emoticon if <sighs> it doesn't have smell lines? So I just, you know, I just want to talk to the people that run Google Hangout slash gtalk slash gchat slash whatever it's called. You guys need to get your emoticon game in gear. Um, you were being left behind. This is going to have damaging repercussions on your business model. Um, so let's let's make sure that we get that done. Did they, they listen to the podcast? I didn't realize that everybody listens to the podcast. Oh yeah, no, my, Sean, I, oh, what was I saying? <laughs> I, I apologize. That was obvious. <laughs> Greetings, Mr. President. We really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Yes, that's right. Let's talk about Obamacare next time. Um, And on that note with Obamacare, I think that we should talk about our sponsor this week, Sean. Has your beard been working for 30,000 days without any maintenance? Have you put it on autopilot while you build a completely awesome ad network and then become a real estate tycoon? Well, Orloff's Beard Maintenance Garage has got you covered. You can dip in at any time to maintain your ever-so-wild-man appearance with a touch of refinement. At Orloff's Beard Maintenance Garage, they know how to maintain your ever-vigilant Codemaster look while conveying the debonair refinement that means you can talk to anyone. So come on down to Orloff's, where we've got you trim and covered. Also, they're now offering complete manscaping, where you can get any wild thing trimmed up. Come on down! And thanks for joining us for Tech Moonshine. You can continue the conversation with us on Twitter using the at Tech Moonshine account. You can also find us on the web at Rollins.io slash Special thanks to Jeff Hotskiner, who is our banjo player, and his track Bent Nails is what you heard at the beginning of the program. You can find him on SoundCloud using the username Jeff on the Banjo. Join us again for more episodes in the future of Tech Moonshine, where you get the unfiltered truth about tech.